Heart. You gotta have heart. Miles and miles of heart. What is heart? Heart is running through a return man when the game is on the line. Heart is giving everything you have in practice, day after day. Heart is finding the strength to run down the field one more time when you can barely breathe. The heart in me pumps Husker Red. Hello and welcome to a brand new edition, a brand new episode of the Five Heart Podcast brought to you by Coordination.com, hosted on JitteryMonkey.com, part of the Jittery Monkey family of podcasts. My name is Greg Mahachko and back from a very exciting trip to Missouri. Not too many people can say they have fun in Missouri. Uh, and I'm not sure how much fun he had, and we'll get, get to that uh, in a moment, but Haas Reuter is back and... Uh, uh, we know we've, we've been doing the uh, cross-examinations for about a month and a half now, and we're going to continue those, but uh, we're just going to catch up, uh, just Haas and I this week, going back to kind of the old format where we'll touch on some headlines and some news and things like that. But before we do that, Haas, we were just talking before uh, we went on the air, on the air, before we started recording, uh, and you said a week ago you were in Lake of the Ozarks in the emergency room, and I said, yeah, a week ago I was sitting here recording with Evan. Uh Tell me about your trip to Missouri because not too many people spend, uh, well, not too many out-of-staters, I should say, spend a, a Saturday night in the emergency room. So what happened? Well, uh, it's a lot of my own stupidity uh, stemming from the fact that I'm a bit of a meathead, especially when it comes to lifting weights. And uh, last Thursday I was at the gym and I was an idiot and thought I could squeeze out one more rep on bench press without a spotter. And as I was trying to, you know, get the weight up to rack it, I just didn't have anything left in me. And so I had to bail on the lift and I tried just by setting the bar back behind me and, you know, on the bench, you know, getting it over my head and just setting it down. And 275 pounds came down on my left hand Ooh. and my ring finger bled like a stuck pig and my middle finger swelled up pretty bad and so i called it a day at the gym and i went home and it was real swollen but i thought ah, it's probably just you know a sprain or at the very worst it's broken but not too bad so i could you know i could make a fist and you know i could move my hand it just hurt a little bit and then on saturday a couple days later um my brother-in-law and i we headed down to the lake of the ozarks uh, and uh i had strict directions from my sister who is an er nurse here in omaha to <laughs> keep a splint on it uh-huh ice it don't do anything stupid and uh so we're out on the boat for about oh three hours and we finally get to party cove and me having uh well just more really more guts than any sense I thought, oh, well, swelling went down. I can move my hand a little bit. I can make a fist again. Uh, to hell with the splint. I'm taking it off. So we were there for about an hour. I'm standing on a boat talking to, of all things, some Husker fans who were there as well. You know, we're just shooting the breeze about Husker football. And at one point, someone comes up on the jet ski, getting off the jet ski to get off the boat or to get onto the boat. And I give her a hand up onto the boat and knocks off the balance of the boat and i'm not exactly a i don't exactly have my sea legs for lack of a better term like i i, li I like solid land terra firma 
And so what ended up happening was the balance of the boat got knocked off and I can trip over a piece of dryer lint. And so I went to put my hand out to catch myself. And uh, the one thing that caught on an inner tube as I was trying to um, steady myself from falling was my broken middle finger. And immediately I hear it. I hear a pop and a kind of a snap sound. And as I get up, I look down at my middle finger and it's sticking at the second knuckle. It's sticking out to the left. And I just look over at my brother-in-law and I go, we got to go. Like, we got to go to the ER. And he sees my hand. I'm holding it up like this. And he goes, holy shit. Yes, we do. Wow. So we had about a 45-minute boat ride back to the cabin. And then about a 20-minute drive to the ER in Osage Beach, Missouri. And then I sat there for three hours and had them pop it back in. And uh, they put a splint on it. And away I went. You could have saved yourself an ER bill if you just popped it back in and put your splint back on. Well, I thought about doing that, and one of the boats that was there alongside of us were full of um, people who were medics in the National Guard. Oh, nice. They were were saying that they could do that, and then I told them, I was like, well, it was broken to begin with. And they're like, oh, no, you got to go to the ER. So, yeah, um, let me tell you, the people watching in an ER in rural Missouri is absolutely magnificent. I mean, it it was great entertainment. I feel like... uh, Nice folks. I was going to say, I feel like that'd be like prime time at Walmart or something. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, and, uh, go ahead. How does the hand feel a week later? Um, Up until Thursday, it was swollen real bad still. Um, I have a nice metal splint on my middle finger and I got it taped to my ring finger. And then just in the past few days, I can actually see my knuckles again. Oh, that's on my hand and swelling's gone down but it's just a real nasty purple and yellow bruise all over my hand down to my wrist and it's going to be a uh, six weeks august 1st i can finally take the metal splint off so i can't lift weights anything upper body for six weeks so it's gonna it's hell for me i was gonna say just think of all the uh uh ground you're gonna have to pick up on that deadlift getting ready for the uh, competition yep. with tweety Exactly, because I can't, I can't grip anything. I even said that to the doctor. I was like, you know, Doc, I like to lift weights. Uh, how long are we looking at, you know, until I can? And she's like, six weeks. And even then, you might have to do some physical therapy with your hand because if it was a broken pinky, it would be one thing. Right. You know? But when it's your middle finger where you generate most of your grip strength in your hand from, like, it's like, oh, man, I mean, the silver lining is at least I'm right-handed. You know, and it's on my left hand. Yeah, that's broke true. Finger. And but yeah, so that was a it, it it put a damper on the trip. I mean, I did get to eat at a steak and shake for the first time. Now, so it, it was that was nice. I, I've got to ask you about that because I'm from this part of the Midwest. You know, I'm from Illinois, where we have steak and shakes. You know, it, depending on if you're, you know, how populated the area is, you can come across one, you know, every couple of miles or even in the rural areas, you know, you have some in, in some of the larger rural towns, if that makes any sense. Um, and I was shocked when I got out of Missouri and, and did not see a steak and shake. Um, and I had no idea what this thing called Runza was at the time. So tell me about your steak and shake experience, because for anybody who doesn't know, uh, they're steak burgers. Um, they are on a on a griddle, 
uh, in the back, and uh, they they come in little. I, I've seen, I've watched them make them. They're a little beef puck, uh, and they just smash them down till till they're pretty thin, and and uh, you know you, you could dress them up. You know they have variations, different varieties. But but did you get the steak burger and a shake? I did not get a burger, um, only because of the fact that, well, there's no way to sugarcoat this. I'm a messy eater. <laughs> you can't and, uh, do it with one hand. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't do it with one hand. So I ordered some chicken strips and uh, fries. And then uh, my brother-in-law, he was with me. And since he had driven me to the ER, you know, I was like, hey, I got, you know, I'll cover your dinner for you. And uh, so we ended up for 20 bucks, we dined like kings. That's the, the one thing. I mean, not one thing. It, it's another nice thing about Steak and Shake is, man, their stuff is good and it's affordable. Yeah, uh, yeah we got two shakes, a burger, chicken strips and fries, and two extra order of onion rings for like nineteen seventy five. Here, here's a. Um, may this be a, a helpful tint, uh, tint, a helpful hint <laughs> uh, for you and anybody listening. Anytime you go to a Steak and Shake, get the cup of chili. It doesn't matter if it's December or June, if it's a hundred degrees out or not. You can't go wrong with their chili. Um, I, I wish I I would have known this a, a week ago so I could uh, you know give you the Iggy on it. But their chili is fantastic, and uh, I, I'm a little disappointed that I didn't you know sense like the disturbance in the forest that you were going to Steak and Shake and not going to get the chili. Um, it's fantastic. So what do you think about their fries? Because their fries are unique. Very good. Very good. I really liked them. I mean, I really I liked everything about the place. Kind of has that old school diner type of feel to it. Yeah, I felt like honestly, even though it was ten thirty at night, I felt like I was in Pulp Fiction there at the end, and <laughs> Samuel L. Jackson and uh, John Travolta are sitting in the diner. You know, it's just kind of old school vibe. Our waitress, of all things, is actually from Lincoln. Wow. And of course, I'm I'm deep behind enemy lines down there on the uh, doorstep of Dixie, so I'm wearing a Husker shirt and a Husker hat. And uh, so, you know, of course, you know, that conversation about Nebraska football started. So, um, yeah, great place. Uh, people watching was pretty dang good there, too, as well, at 1030 at night. I have a question that I, I wanted to ask when you were talking about just being out on the boat and, and running into Husker fans out there. When you when you go out in public, and, and this this is just me trying to get the show over a little bit more, when you go out in public and, and you know, especially in un, you know unfamiliar territory where you just happen to cross – you know, uh, a Husker fan. Do you have to mention, hey, you know, yeah, I'm on, I'm on a Husker podcast. You should check it out. Because I, you know, I do that self promotion. I, I, I do that self promotion stuff all the time. And, and obviously, you know, you, you live in, in Gretna and, and work in uh, Omaha, and, and uh, you know, you come across Husker fans every day. I don't imagine you'd be like, hey, Husker fan, right? Uh, check out the pot. You know, but, <laughs> but, but when you're out in, in you know, uh, unexpected when when you run across one unexpectedly, you know, just because uh, I, I do that, I, I I do anything I can to, to try to build up the listenership. But uh, uh, you you say that you you thought about it. Yeah, I, I've thought about it a few times, but like you know, haven't mentioned it for whatever reason. A few years ago, when I first started writing for Coordination, I had a uh, one of my classes in the College of Ed, one of the teacher ed classes. They uh, I had some Husker fans that sat at the table with me. Obviously it's Omaha, Nebraska. Just about everyone's a Husker fan. And uh, they were such staunch run the ball guys that I was just like, I'm not even going to mention that I write those uh, decoding (laughs) Langsdorf articles because uh, 
these people probably think I'm subversive to the ideals of running the damn ball here in Nebraska, you know. So, but uh, I ended up finding out who I was, you know, over time because they're they're reading an article one day in class, and I was just kind of like, hey, yeah, I wrote that. No, you didn't. Yeah, yeah, I did. Like, Your first, it's not Haas. Yeah, that's my Twitter handle. That's just what I go by, you know, on coordination. Yeah, sure enough. And so after that, uh, every time, uh, every Monday after a game, they'd be wanting to know why we threw the ball in certain situations. <laughs> and the mean? professor was an Iowa fan, so he made sure to rub it in pretty good to me after uh, they beat us 40-10 to 10 in Iowa City that year. Well, th- I hope he enjoyed that because it's not going to happen again. Um, you know, we, no, it's not. We we talk about it, you know, and, and there's. I, I want to get into, you know, talking about the meat, uh, which is something we haven't talked about much, and that's you know the the football program. Um, and, and towards the end of the show, we're going to talk about your uh, your wild and crazy Friday night because <laughs> you, you're you're just a, a a man of the people. Um, but let's talk a little bit before we talk about the team itself. I want to talk about Scott Frost because this is, uh, folks. You know what we're going to discuss here is is a little bit of uh, old news because we've been doing the cross examination and we haven't been keeping up on the headlines per se. But uh, not too terribly long ago, the uh, uh, head football coach of the Nebraska Cornhusker football team, Mr. Scott Frost, took a little uh, trip down to the Grand Canyon and did a twenty four mile hike something like that in the Grand Canyon in a day. Uh, pretty tremendous stuff. And and ESPN's, I think it was uh, Marty Smith? Yeah. Yeah, just making sure I get the name right. Uh, you know, was there, a little camera crew was there, and they were just kind of following Frost on the journey and, uh, and talk with him. Um, aside from just, you know, wanting to get out maybe and, and, you know, use the downtime, so to speak, to clear his head a little bit and just kind of be Scott Frost and, and – I say more so Scott Frost and less, you know, Scott Frost head football coach. What what do you think is the motivation to, you know, just do something like that? Just go out there and and uh, and just kind of get away uh, for for a you know a couple of days like that. Well, the first one that comes to mind is uh, you know when Sir Edmund Hillary uh, hiked Everest back in the late seventies. They asked you know people asked him, well, why'd you go up there? And he to say that I did. Um, so there's kind of that component, but reading some of the articles that they did with that uh, former Marine captain who uh, runs the program now, one of Scott Frost's good friends, his name's skipping my mind right now, um, he was talking in a Journal Star article about how Frost is a, the typical leader who won't ask people to do stuff that he wouldn't do himself, you know, and really pushing yourself and being uncomfortable and getting out of your comfort zone and you know, developing that physical and mental toughness, you know, that's, that hike will challenge you more than just about anything. I mean, I was, I was watching, I was like, gosh, I think I'm in pretty good physical shape, but Lord knows I couldn't do that. I I mean, I'd be, I'd be waving the white towel by hour four, you know, on the descent down into the Canyon. So definitely just one of those things to kind of, kind of shows, you know, you're going to, you're going to do the dirty work, you know, the uncomfortable stuff as well. You're not just going to be, you know, jumping on players, you know, telling them that they got to get in the weight room or they got to, you know, do extra conditioning. You know, you're you're also leading by example. Uh, pulled up the, the article from the Lincoln Journal Star on the ESPN, you know, uh, edition or, or expose, not expose, but, you know, the, the uh, 
feature that they did on him. Uh, the the name of the ex Marine Force Recon Platoon Commander, which by itself is a uh, mouthful, uh, Eric Kapitulik, who, as you okay. mentioned, good friend of Frost and Marty Smith calls him quote an overall badass. So um, the I can't, uh, I can't think of too many higher distinctions to achieve in life than what Marty Smith called him an overall badass. Yeah, I mean that that's I mean. Some someone calls you that. I mean, whatever you do after that does not compare to being tabbed as an overall badass, Ultimo Ombre. I would. The downside is that that's quite the moniker to have to live up to, then, isn't it? Or once you're labeled an overall badass, do you, I mean, are you able to are you able to ride that one out, or is that something that you've got to maintain? Do you think? You probably got to maintain it, and especially, I mean. Someone finds out that you've earned the moniker and overall badass. I mean, you're gonna be dodging a lot of people in crowded bar rooms on a Saturday night. Yeah. Um, in the uh, in the piece, Frost uh, told Marty Smith that he and Capitulic have been to South Africa to swim with sharks in cages, and they've hiked seven mountain peaks and 27 miles in one day in New Hampshire. Uh, so, just that, that that you know, I I don't know if. Physically, there's a difference difference between seven mountain peaks and you know Grand, the Grand Canyon. Uh, I, I'm sure there is to to an extent when you talk about higher elevations and things like that. But what I like about Scott Frost is, you know, we're seeing aspects of him that don't have to necessarily revolve around football. Does that make sense? I mean, yeah, he, he he's he's proven. In, in you know a couple of years as a as a head coach, he's proven what he can do on the field. Uh, you know, turning around a winless UCF team to you know thirteen and zero winners of the Peach Bowl, uh, beating the only team that you know had victories over the two teams that were actually playing for the national championship. Uh, turned around that program that was you know living on despair, and now he's coming to Nebraska and he just. He, he's able to, like I said you know, a few minutes ago, he's able to separate Scott Frost, head football coach, from Scott Frost, guy who just wants to go out and do new stuff, you know, uh, new experiences, mm-hmm. uh, new challenges to himself. And, and that's, you know, I think there's, you know, it's, it's June. I think there's a lot of, uh, uh, you know, coaches who are, you know, so I – I don't know if tunnel vision is the right word. And I'm not saying that they're wrong. Uh, you know, if they're spending every waking hour preparing for, you know, the fall practice, I just think it's good, you know, in 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 any career in any position to have the ability and the desire to get away and say, you know what, yeah, uh, I'm just going to go hike the Grand Canyon today. You know, <laughs> not everybody yeah. can do it, and uh, and and kudos to uh, Frost for for uh, taking that challenge. Well, you can't always, no matter what you're doing in life as a profession or no matter how much you how passionate you are about it you can't always be white knuckling it you know you gotta you know you gotta ease off a bit you gotta i don't want to say i don't know a better way to say it but stop and smell the roses and you you gotta be a well-rounded person as well it's kind of like the coaches who always talk about oh well I got in the office at 6 a.m. and I worked till midnight. Well, okay, you worked 18 hours, but how productive were you in that time? Right. You know, work, I, uh, you know, efficiently, work smart, but leave room for other stuff in your life, other things, other people, other interests. 
right, football is always going to be there. I mean, there's a reason why you went into that profession to sure. begin with. You know? I, as uh, long as you know you're keeping it buttoned up, and you know you got a you got a commanding grip on what you're doing for a living. You know your passion, your you know your craft. You can you can afford you know to have those moments where you go hike the Grand Canyon, you go shark diving in South Africa, you hike the seven granite peaks in Vermont or New Hampshire. Um, so I, yeah, I think it's cool, and you know it's interesting to see the human side yeah. of a football coach because I mean. You, you get so used to seeing the Nick Saban, you know, robot who just compartmentalizes everything and just keeps on ticking like the Energizer Bunny. And it, it's interesting to see the other side of people, you know, that, you know, people are intense competitors and, you know, they're the best at what they do. But at the end of the day, like they got their stuff outside of the game that they're into. And, and again, it, it's also important to note the the type of and I don't want to use the word distraction but the type of um, I guess distraction is the, the best word the type of hobby perhaps I mean uh, hiking the Grand Canyon is one thing being Carl Polini is different so <laughs> <laughs> oh um, yeah but but oh, yeah. but uh, you know in in you were whether you knew it or not were paraphrasing them let me try that again you whether you knew it or not. Uh, we're paraphrasing what Frost said in that segment uh, when he said, I'm going to quote here, we get so busy with football, and I think it's really easy in the world today and especially in our job to get focused on so much on what's right in front of you to forget how many great things are out there and being here in the Grand Canyon with some good friends and some people that I respect and enjoy being around makes for a special adventure. He says, this clears my mind too. We've got a lot going on and being able to get away from everything and have peace with the world and think about what's important. I think that's important to do once in a while. Um, I mean that. It, when I think of mantras for a, you know life, not you know even going above, you know head coach of of my favorite college football team and yours, um, that's just good. That's just good life advice. You know you can't be so. You can't be so focused that you don't see the forest for the trees. You know I mean you've got to look. You got to look to you know for lack of a better term and and not to uh, quote I guess was a Southwest airlines or whatever it is, uh, you know, want to get away. Yeah. You've got to be able to, you know, compartmentalize, uh, from time to time and say, all right, this is this, you know, this work is work. And when I need to focus on work, that's what I'm going to do. But there's so much more in my life and in life that, you know, work is only, you know, for, for many people, maybe eight hours a day, you know, something like that. There are a lot of people and, and I envy the people who, uh, and, and to an extent I am, I'm one of them where, all right, when I clock out at the end of the day, I'm done. And I don't have to worry too much about it until, you know, the next morning when I get in. A lot of people don't have that luxury. Uh, when I sold cars, my cell phone might, you know, I get, might get a text or something like that at 8 o'clock at night saying, hey, do you still have this vehicle available? You know, it's, it's, it comes with the territory of, you know, supervisors, things like that. You know, people who are in charge. Uh, I, I've talked to a, a small business owner myself, uh, you know, or a buddy of mine uh, who who says, you know, uh, when you work, he was bar, he owned a bar or owns a bar, and he says, if you're a bartender or something like that, um, something goes wrong, you call the boss. He said, when you own the thing, you're the one who gets called. It doesn't matter what time it is, you're you know perennially on call. So to be able to like just you know summarize, compartmentalize, and in, in Frost's case, just to get away. 
you know, for a little bit, have this adventure, have this, you know, free time to be out there and, and to challenge himself. And uh, uh, I don't know how he integrates that, you know, into his coaching philosophy. I don't know if he comes back and, and tells, you know, these 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 year old, you know, young men, hey, you guys, you know, I don't know how he uses it, spins it for motivation, other than to say, you know, for, for many of them, he says, you know, I'm twice your age. Um, I was able to do this. I just, you know, I motivated myself. I found the way to do it. This is our goal. He said, that was my goal to, you know, hike the Grand Canyon. Our goal as a team is to, you know, progress, you know, get back on track, win a, you know, win the division, win the conference, and, and you know, sky's the limit from there. I, I don't know if, I don't know how he uses that grand canyon adventure in the locker room or or if at all in in haas since you are you know ha, have the, the the coaching aspirations how would you how would you work that into you know like into a practice someday when you say hey you know this this is what i was able to do i set my mind to it you know i, I trained for it and i accomplished it how, how do you go about that do you think well i don't think i would mention it explicitly but I think it would be more implied, you know, if they're paying attention, they watch it on TV or they know what I was doing. You know, I was out doing that, you know, like hiking the Grand Canyon. Um, it's just kind of one of those things that it's implied like, hey, this guy isn't, you know, this guy isn't Mark Mangino eating his way to the pizza buffet at the training table. You know, this guy's, you know, active. He's out there, you know, he's doing, you know, hiking the Grand Canyon one day, 12 miles down, 12 miles back up. And, so it's just, you know, it's implied and it sets a standard. You lead by example. And I think that, you know, I think that it's great just because it shows, you know, again, hey, like this guy's willing to, you know, push himself, you know, I'm going to, you know, on a subconscious level, I'm going to push myself, you know, even more, you know. So I think I just, I think it's great to have have a coach. I mean, a total comprehensive coach you know lead by example you know just try to maintain you know aspire for excellence in every aspect of your life you know on the field yeah you know on the practice field film room academics the weight room being a good citizen in the community not skipping class so it just it carries over to that it sets the standard as far as leading by example you know we we all have you know seen pictures or uh you know read reports of of what you know scott frost probably in better shape now than he was 20 years ago when he was you know a, a player that has to even if it, like you said even if it's not implicit you know him him posting his prs in the weight room uh the, the team even if they're even if he's not working out with them at the same time, they have to be aware of, of what he's doing, what he's lifting. Be like, oh come on, I can't let coach outlift me. I mean, it's got to be, you know, some some type of uh, subliminal or maybe not subliminal um, subconscious motivator for them, wouldn't you think? Absolutely. You know, it, it, it's a football is such a competitive culture, and you don't. I mean. If, I'm going to sound like I'm a 1970s football coach here, but if you got a pair, you're not going to let, you don't want to let anyone outwork you. Sure. You know, you, 
you want to be the ultimate hombre, you know, the, the, the overall badass, you know, so you're going to really push yourself and do the best that you can. Because I mean, crap, you know, when I played football, if I had an offensive line coach who was just, you know, hoisting up a bunch of weight, you know, whether it's on bench or squat or deadlift, it'd be like, okay, well, that guy, he's not even playing, but you know, shit, he, he cares so much about, you know, offensive line play and, you know, being in game shape, even though he's not playing, like, how can I not push myself to that point to be in the best shape that I can be and to be prepared to go out there on the field in practices and games? So it's a, it's a lot different than the Riley era. That's for sure. I want to throw this comparison out there just for kicks and grins or as as the youngins would say, throw in some of that shade, I believe is the phrase. Um, oh, yes. How, how does – when in, in 2018 with social media and in an era where perception is reality uh, because it's you know, – we're a, a hot take culture, how does Scott Frost essentially doing uh, you know the, the Grand Canyon hike – by himself. I mean, he was in a group of others, but you know, I don't know if he necessarily asked Marty Smith to, to, and ESPN to come down and, and follow him around. How does his take on on time away differ from uh, someone like Jim Harbaugh, who Smith, you know, Marty Smith's uh, America uh, visited in France? Well, Jim Harbaugh just feels self serving. It, it just feels like it's something he's interested in. He's going to go do it. He's going to try to tie it back into something to do with Michigan, as evidenced right. by having the players there for it. And get, you know, get paid and, you know, get get the trip for free and probably, you know, get, yeah. you know, paid as part of it. So, And Frost is just like, yeah, this is what I'm doing in my spare time, you know. This is how, this is something, you know, that I like to do and helps me become, you know, be a better coach, you know, better husband, better father by, you know, getting away for a bit, you know, having time to just appreciate things and not just white knuckling it the entire time, you know, as a, you know, a grinder like John Gruden, you know, and uh, so it's just, it's just really one of those things where there, there wasn't any, there wasn't any self-indulgence with Frost hiking the Grand Canyon compared to Harbaugh, you know, going to Omaha Beach, which I thought was awesome, you know. To begin with, you know, as a history guy, you know, I'm going to school to be a history teacher. I, I mean, I love military history. World War II history fascinates me. And, I, you know, the significance of them going to Omaha Beach isn't lost on me. But with Harbaugh, there's always that self-indulgence, you know, to anything he does. I, I have to pick on Scott Frost for just a minute um, because he's, he's, you know, relative newlywed. If I remember correctly, I don't know the exact date. Um, but he also, you know, okay, so a couple, you know, just over two years. And he they, they have a son, of course, uh, you know, who was just born in November, uh, right at the tail end of that, you know, white-hot UCF run. I just know that when my boy was six months old, I wouldn't go on any trips to the Grand Canyon. 
know? Yeah. I was home cleaning. Yeah, that's a that's a luxury that's not afforded to a lot of family Dude, men. I was I was doing a, a you know cleaning you know changing diapers and cooking meals. My wife, of course, also uh, you know is is at the at the time was a, a, a you know in a, a bachelor's program for nursing and. She, uh, ah, fantastic news and, and pat on her back, um, her back. I said her back. Um, she received her her paper diploma, her, her physical diploma for her bachelor's degree, uh, as she continues on towards her master's, which she'll have uh, should have this time next year. So we're really excited about that. Gotta gotta give her a shout out. She's oh, oh yeah, the hardest working woman I know. Works nights, uh, goes to school full time, has a two year old, and has to put up with me. I, I, I was going to add that last part in if you didn't, Greg. I pray for her every day, <laughs> and I thank God for her. Um, all right, so sounds let's... Like a, sounds like a heck of a lady. She uh, And she ain't too uh, hard to look at, you know what I'm saying? So There you uh, go. Yeah, I believe the phrase, outkicked my coverage, uh, is... Applies uh, here? Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> so let's, let's talk... Uh, we should all be so lucky. We, you should all be so lucky. Um, all right, so let's talk about uh, this Nebraska football team. As we are, we're behind. We, we've acknowledged that uh, there have been some. Uh, we, we need our, our recruiting expert uh, Rick Cohen in on this, but uh, it's Saturday night and he's either asleep or uh, roping calves or doing something rodeo, which is fine. I it, uh, no disrespect to rodeo. I don't understand it. I tried following it, tried covering it for a couple of years, and, and just over my head. Um, but let's talk a little bit, shall we, about some of these uh, uh, prospects that that are in the class of 19. I want to start in unlikely position. And can you guess that position, Hoss? Offensive line? No. that That's the no. likely position because we know that's where you really want to talk about. Uh, that's my wheelhouse. <laughs> well, how about... Uh, Luke McCaffrey. Yes. Oh my gosh! It's been such a month since you know we've talked about this. You know, it didn't really come to mind. That's huge. Um, he's going to be a little bit of a project. You know, just dual threat quarterback, a little raw mechanically. But with a guy like Mario Verduzco coaching quarterbacks, that's a guy that you know. When comes time that adrian martinez leaves the program in four years after going four and zero against iowa by the way um <laughs> you know he he'll likely be ready you know and great you know great athlete from a very athletic family obviously with his you know mom being a soccer player his dad you know is eddie mccaffrey and then his older brother is christian mccaffrey and so I mean that that came out of left field, but that's a huge commitment to get, and it gives us a little street cred, you know, uh, with a with a known commodity, you know, name last name, you know, committing here. So that that was that was a big deal. The the commit. I'm just gonna dive right into offensive line play here. Well, hold on, there, I got I got. There's no easing into a street fight, Greg. I I've got to, uh, I got a couple. I have two questions about the quarterback position. Um, yes. and, and not, I mean, specifically in, in the dual threat, um, because, well, all right. So McCaffrey is actually listed as a little taller than I thought. He's listed at six two one eighty. Um, how, how tall is a Martin? Do you happen to know that one off the top uh, of your head? Six three. Okay. What's the right height for a dual threat quarterback? 
You know, it depends more on like you know body composition because you get the guys like Greg, uh, Vince Young. You know, he's six mm-hmm. five and could just run like a white tailed buck all day. And then you got guys like you know Crouch who are, who's six one, but he's significantly smaller than Vince Young. You know, Crouch is two oh five, two fifteen. So it just kind of depends on how they're built, but I would probably say about six foot three, because especially in the modern era of dual threat quarterbacks with how spread offenses have proliferated, you're going to have to throw the football. Like sure. you can't get away with having a running back playing quarterback anymore. Like you're going to get into a tight spot. You know, you might be down 14, nothing to start a game and you're going to have to throw it a little bit to climb your way back in it. And you want a guy who's going to be able to scan the field a little bit. So like six, three is kind of that sweet spot in terms of height for dual threat quarterbacks. And McCaffrey, obviously being, you know, 17 years old, something like that, still has an opportunity to catch, you know, another inch or two uh, height-wise. I was just looking this up, and Tommy Armstrong was, uh, you know, listed at 6'1". Uh, and again, never, you know, I, ne- I never stood by the guy, so I, I don't know. Um, but never seemed quite that tall on the field, no. if that makes sense. Um, yeah, it makes it. Yeah, I was just thinking that, like, I, I'm 5'10", for instance, and Tommy Armstrong, like out on the field, he looked like he was more five ten, five eleven, than six one. Uh, just by comparison, uh, his former roommate Jordan Westerkamp uh, was billed as six foot even. So, um, no way. What's that? No way. No. If that guy's six foot. I'm six foot. All right. Well, I, again, I never stood next to him. Uh, I'm just going by what Google says. So blame Google. <laughs> yep. Um. No, but so where does somebody, you know, the with Adrian Martinez coming in and are, where are we at with uh, Tristan Jebbia? Is it, I mean, is he out of the picture or is he still, I would think that he's very much in the picture, but I'm not that smart. Or I'm not certainly not as smart as you. So I... Are we going to have an actual quarterback battle leading up to, you know, the the start of the season? Well, I think they'll keep the competition open, but I definitely think that it's Martinez's job to lose just because the at the dimensions that he gives you as the starter. I mean, one, he looks like he's born to run the offense, just a smooth operator in the spring game, uh, good speed. His arm strength's going to come back over time from that torn labrum and his throwing shoulder. But uh, you just, you really, Martinez just gives you everything. And if him and Gebby are, Gebby, uh, we need to iron that down, you know, figure that out. We, we did, uh, I believe it was Gebby. Gebby, perfect. You know, if, if they're if, if even, I'm wrong, If I'm wrong, I'll hear about it. So. Oh, uh, Pat in Thailand, if we're wrong, please tweet That's us right. again. You're our number one fan. Um, but, yeah, so if they're even, like, they're, they're both giving you – they're both processing information the same way. They're making decisions. I think you give the nod to Martinez based off the fact that athleticism. You know, um, Jebby is just kind of – he's the classic gym rat, and there's nothing wrong with that. But when you got a guy who's a just a smooth operator and a spread-to-run offense like Martinez looks like he's going to develop into, there's no time like the present, as we were kind of discussing before we went on air. You get that experience now. 
and you build for 19. And sure, it's a baptism by fire at times, especially when you know you're looking at Michigan's defense being really good, and Wisconsin, Ohio State, Michigan State will probably try to smother you know offenses as they usually do this you know under D'Antonio. So I I just really feel like if you're okay with you know if you want the dimensions that Martinez gives you in the zone read and running the option and you know processing information quickly give him the nod and if it doesn't work out you know if he if he's just not adjusting to the speed of major college football in the big 10 conference well you got that new red shirt rule where you know he plays three four games and you know he's just not quite there well you pull him and you put jebbia in and you preserve uh, martinez's red shirt that is a really interesting rule change and i love it i was it, it's going to be so I mean, it's it's such a, a dynamic game changer, you know, for especially for you know a, a team in the situation like Nebraska, where you're exactly right. If if Martinez is not looking like he's ready, you know, after a couple of games, or and, and I'm gonna, I'm going to knock on wood and, and say, you know, God forbid, but let's say you know Jebius you know, starts and is having a hell of a run, and middle of November he gets hurt I don't want that mm-hmm. to happen I don't want any you know player really of any team to get hurt um, but you're able to bring Martinez in for you know uh, the last couple of games and not burn the red shirt I mean it's it, it opens up so many possibilities and, and I think it's going to be something that really um, will benefit all programs uh, not just Nebraska Exactly, and I'm really curious to see how this works with non-conference games. Like, if you have guys who are right on the cusp of playing as true freshmen, but you're not quite sure, you throw them out there in the non-con, see where they're at, or late in the year, especially bowl games. You know, if you got a rash of injuries, like shit, we did back in '16 at the tail end when mm-hmm. Tommy Armstrong has a torn hamstring and Riker Fife has a broken wrist, and we're able to bring Patrick O'Brien in. You know, and preserve his red shirt still. Sure. Play him against, you know, Maryland or, well, Fife was healthy for that one, but Iowa and, tennis, and then Tennessee in the Music City Bowl. So that that's huge. It's it's a it's a game changer, and I definitely think that it's better for player development because you can actually get an accurate litmus test of where they're at in terms of being ready for playing major college football at this level. So let's transition then to what you really want to talk about all right i'm just gonna uh step aside and and, we're we're not talking quantum physics here are we we well we were but i I guess apparently you're gonna change the script on me so uh take it away hoss because i guess you know if we're not going to talk about quantum physics can we talk about quantum leap that's gonna be a no for me dog we're talking O-line play here, and there's no expiration date, no off switch on that when it comes to me talking offensive line play. You're probably too young to remember Quantum Leap. Uh, yeah, I, born in 90, Greg. All right. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll come back to that another time. All right. All right. Sir, serve up the first question, my good man. Uh, I'm, who, who do we got? Well, we got that commitment from Desmond Bland out of Arizona Western Community College. I believe he's like the number two offense, JUCO offensive lineman in the country. He plays guard. 
And what I was really intrigued by, of course, is his head coach saying that he has NFL potential at center. And Lord knows, you know, Nebraska and centers, we have not had a good lineage since Dominic Rayola, and we're the school with a native son from Nebraska. Who they named the award after. They named the award for the nation's <laughs> best center after, and it is downright inexcusable for us to have such a sad litany of center play since 2000. It's just bullshit. Like, there's no excuse for it. you got to have a good center. So that's really intriguing with Desmond Bland, because if we – we can get through this year in 2018 with, you know, just a stopgap measure at center, whether it's Cole Conrad or Tanner Farmer or Hunter Miller, and then get to 19 where you get bland into the program, that's going to be huge because in Frost's offense, the center has to take on a lot of, you know, take on nose guards one-on-one without any help from the guards because, you know, they'll pull, we'll pull both guards on buck sweep and, pin and pull and you know guards will be climbing to second level you know the linebackers when there's just a nose and an odd front lined up so if we can just get through this year with adequate center play and get to next year where you got a guy like bland you know who develops or maybe john raritan develops we're you know we're, we're in good shape and then the commitment of matthew anderson yesterday from leesville louisiana i was saying in the slack room He's a little bit of a project, you know, being only 270 pounds. But at this point, especially in major college football right now, offensive tackles in recruiting are at a premium because pass rushers are at a premium. It's a cause and effect. Pass rushers are highly coveted. So are the so the position that's tasked with stopping elite pass rushers are going to be highly coveted. We're not at a point right now as a program that we can go out and win recruiting battles for top flight OTs. They're going to go to places that, one, they're going to play early. Number two, they're going to win, and they're going to go pro after they're junior. So right now, that leaves us with the option of building offensive tackles. You know, you, you recruit guys who they might be a little undersized. They have the frame, but they might be a little undersized in terms of weight and muscle mass. And you put them in the weight room for a year, and you build build your own OT. And that's kind of like with a Matthew Anderson type player. Someone on the team, um, Matt Sichterman. Uh, Brendan Hymas was a bit of a rarity, you know, and he started last year out of necessity after Dave, both David Neville and Matt Farniak got hurt. But Hymas' background is, you know, playing elite Texas high school football at Lake Travis High School, and then having a dad who was a former strength and conditioning coach and getting him in good shape, you know, to step in and play at a pretty damn proficient level as a true freshman. That's that that's where we're at. We're gonna have to we have to build our own OTs until we're getting to the point where we're winning and we got you know we've re redeveloped that offensive line excellence at nebraska and you know from there we'll be able to be in the conversation for guys like a you know a foster sorrell from a few years ago who ended up going to stanford and that recruiting loss bothered me worse than losing out on joseph lewis but at the same time if i'm an offensive high school offensive lineman in today's day and age and i have an offer from stanford who is base is basically taken up the uh 
thrown for preeminent offensive line play in college football since we've just, you know, we couldn't get it figured out sure. in the past, you know, 20 years. I'm going to Stanford. You know, they Mike Bloomgren, hell of an offensive line coach. And they're going to they're going to run the ball down, you know, people's throats and they're going to put linemen in the NFL as you can see with Josh Garnett from the Niners and one of my favorite players in the NFL, David DeCastro from the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's a no-brainer. Anders Pete from the New Orleans Saints. It's another guy that we lost out on. I was, was going to say, that's a name that should be familiar to uh, Husker fans because he was in the mix until signing day. Signing day. You know, that, that was one that, you know, I think a lot of people still thought that he was going to sign with the Huskers until he, you know, did the, the presentation and, and chose Stanford. I mean, it's that one, you know, that one really chapped Brian's ass when that happened, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and rightfully so. It's a guy, like you said, who's uh, playing in the league now. And, uh, uh, you know, to have – to be told that, you know, this this young man has NFL ability. I was trying to rack my brain uh, and help me out. Wasn't there another Husker, you know, from a few years back who came to us from Arizona Western College or – Western Community College. Randy Gregory. Oh, thank you. Yes. I, I was yep. like, I, I I looked, I'm like, it wasn't Levante David, but I, I couldn't remember who. So, yeah. I'm, I'm, the, and that's the thing, too, is there's there's a lot of good athletes, you know, at that junior college level who are playing there for one reason or another. The fact that it took however many head coaches at Nebraska to, you know, reach the hand across the, the river – and make contact at IWCC. Oh God, yeah, it, it's mind-boggling. You yeah, are absolutely. I mean, they're the Alabama of junior college football, they, and we're, you know we're not utilizing it, and we lose out on a guy like Andrew Van Ginkle who goes up to Wisconsin, and you lose out on you know Taj Williams who goes down to TCU, and Geronimo Allison who goes to Illinois, and now he's with the Green Bay Packers. And now, you know, they've got some damn good players this year. Chester Graves, you know, who's a former, I think, four- or five-star defensive end who's there. Um, Oh, God, I'm drawing a blank on the name. I think it's either Houston Lee or Alex Lee. Last name's Lee. He's the son of the former Husker DT, Odious Lee, who, you know, he's, you know, being pretty heavily recruited out of IWCC as a DT. I mean, those are guys that you got to lock down. I, I wouldn't have minded seeing us maybe sign Kai Loxley, the quarterback from IWCC last year, who ended up going to UTEP, and he's the son of Alabama offensive coordinator Mike Loxley. So, I mean, it's just mind-boggling that it, we we just, you know, Bo didn't utilize him. Uh, Riley didn't utilize him. I, I know Perella was uh, recruit trying to recruit Van Ginkle, you know, before he ended up going to Wisconsin. But, you know, because we had the uh, – athletic director who fancied himself as the next big 10 commissioner and Sean Eichhorst and, right. you know, bowed to every beck and call of one Jim Delaney. We thought we were above recruiting junior college athletes because we thought it would bolster the academic profile of our school and the conference. And, you know, that's bullshit for one, because, you know, at the end of the day, you got to win football games and there's a lot of damn good athletes at the junior college level. So you sign them. I mean, I, Western Iowa is the largest suburb of Nebraska. It's basically our backyard. Go get them. And and it's 
I'm not going to apologize for this statement, but Nebraska is still the preeminent college football brand in that area. I mean, exactly. more so, I mean, this isn't even me taking a shot, more so than Iowa and Iowa State. Uh, yeah, they're closer to Lincoln than they are to Ames or Iowa City. So and The only other major school in the area that's close is either KU and Lawrence, and let's face it, no one wants to play football at KU, or Mizzou down in Columbia. And they're, Missouri's a bit of a train wreck themselves. So, um, yeah, just, you know, the, you got to explore all avenues. Um, and and I, I, I say that from a, you know, it's got to be the right fit. And I think Frost is smart enough to also bring in the right guys. I mean, I, I, he's not going to go and get, you know, a, a troublemaker. You know, I, I, that's not what I mean, but, but, um, you know, like you said, there's talent at the JUCO rank, and IWCC like is in the backyard. Why? Why not? You know, it's that's a, a couple hours drive, I imagine, um, to go check them out, and I don't know, just mind-boggling. But hopefully, contact has been made, and, and we can try to, you know, get some of that talent to Lincoln. Um, who else, or what else, are, are we missing here? I know. Uh, well, we got Will Jackson from Arizona Western who will be eligible this year. Okay. The, the, the defensive back. And, you know, I, that's a welcome addition in a room that we need athletes. But um, I don't know too much about him. I, I was a little busy over when he committed. So, you know, I wasn't able to really read up on anything. I know he's at Kentucky. In fifth, redshirt at Kentucky in 15, was kicked off the team in 16, bounced over to I, or Arizona Western. And, you know, found his way to Lincoln. So I know Travis Fisher was talking about bringing guys in like that to challenge for starting jobs. And, you know, that we, we got to figure out the secondary because our, I don't have a lot of faith in our pass rush this year just because we're still lacking, you know, pass rushers. So we're going to have to tighten it up in the secondary, and we need athletes there if we're going to do that. want to talk briefly about uh, uh, a, an article – that came out on SBNation.com on Friday. Um, and I reached out to the author of said article uh, via Twitter and asked him to actually asked him to join us on the show just to, to visit with us about uh, his, his preview of, of uh, the Huskers in 2018. Uh, Bill Connolly wrote, uh, and, and we'll link it, of course, if you haven't seen it. I, I think we, we shared it on Coronation on Friday, but uh, I... I got a bad memory. Anyway, uh, titled Scott Frost has massive potential at Nebraska, but he's going to need a year zero. Um, so subheading says the former Husker quarterback takes the reins after leading UCF to a claimed national title. He had more to work with in Orlando. Right out the gates, uh, not to, you know, not to say that UCF didn't, didn't earn everything they got and that Nebraska had a bad year. Uh, but you would still think that there's more talent when coached properly in Lincoln, would you not? Yes. Okay. Uh, that that statement that he had more to work with in Orlando, that, that smacks of the benefit of retrospect, sure. being able to see what UCF accomplished. Um back in 2016 if this was June 23rd 2016 
I don't think that a guy like Bill Conley would be saying that he had, you know, a wealth of talent to work with after UCF went 0-12 in 2015. So there, there's talent on the roster in Lincoln right now. They were not held accountable in the weight room. They weren't coached very well in the practice field. They weren't held accountable by their coaches. And really, they were poorly managed on game day. But there's raw talent. And I'm not saying, you know, we're going to come out of the gate and we're going to, you know, we're going to go 13 and 1 like Auburn did in 2013, a year after going 3 and 9. But to, to assert that there was more talent in Orlando upon Frost taking over. I just, I can't buy that logic. I, I just, I really can't. And because of the fact that Frost did the same thing in Orlando that he's doing in Lincoln, where upon taking over, he acquired a lot of talent that could be immediate upgrades. Uh, you know, they signed Mike Hughes before last season because he's kicked off the team in North Carolina. Mackenzie Milton started as a freshman. Uh, Adrian Killens as a freshman. So, they were unknown commodities back then. Well, we have a lot of unknown commodities going into this year who are damn good athletes who could end up kind of doing the same thing. So, years year zero that that's a that, I, I agree with that. It's probably going to be pretty similar to Tom Herman's first year at Texas this past year. I've been pretty consistent in saying we're going to be go, we're, we'll go seven and five this year, and anything more than seven and five is gravy. So, get through this year. Let the foundation be poured, and then uh, let her rip for nineteen and twenty. And twenty twenty two, I believe, is, is still the. Yes, sir. All right, just, just making sure. Uh, Call my shot. Uh, anyway, so it, it's a long, in depth profile of Nebraska. Um, I like how he, I just come across this line here. Former blue chipper Ty John Lindsay did next to nothing as a freshman. Uh, but has time, and then you will also boast a pair of JUCO transfers in uh, Jaron or Jaron Woodyard and Mike Williams uh, talking about the uh, uh, receiving core. I don't know. It, it's in-depth. I'm going to leave it for uh, people to uh, you know look at as they need to. It's just I hear a zero-year type of thing, and I'm like, I, I see a little bit where he's coming from, but at the same time I do take issue with with what we talked about, uh, you know, about the talent. I always believed that the talent was there. Um, but, you know, I, I go back to a report. I, I'm, I'm just going to call it a report because I don't know exactly how it was phrased. So it's a it's a paraphrasing uh, at best. But, it you know, Mike Riley talking about, you know, the guys going to class and, and enforcing, you know, them going to class. He's like, well, they're adults. They should be able to find their way to class, you know. Yeah, they're adults, but they're also college kids, you know. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and they're yeah, also I mean, they're also not always going to do the next right thing. Right. They're also BMOCs, you know. Even on a down year, they're still the Nebraska football team, and you know they might uh, might make a, a poor decision from time to time or hit that snooze button. Lord knows I've done it. Um, uh huh. But uh, you know, just I don't know everything about. 2018 feels better than you know than as long as I've been a Husker fan um, and, and we've you know we've given my history enough 
to, you know, we don't have to rehash that, but just even even on the the years when you know Bo Pelini was winning nine games a year and not you know calling people names <laughs> and and uh, you know just something about this season I'm more optimistic now big picture wise than I have been in a long time and I know it's not going to be 2018 you know I, they're not going to go from four and eight to 13 and one or 13 and zero, or you know whatever it would end up being if they you know won a national championship or played in the playoffs something like that i'm realistic enough to to understand that but i just feel like i don't know um there there's the right people in place to make the the best decisions for the best overall outcomes for this football program and and that's you know from from the top down uh you know, it doesn't even start with Scott Frost because Scott Frost wouldn't be here without Bill Moose, who wouldn't be here without who Hank Bounds and you know Ronnie Green th- and things like that. So it's, I, I just feel like, you know, after Harvey Perlman was out and after or, or you know retired, whatever, and and after Sean Eichhorst was shown the door, we all knew that it was a, a the clock was ticking on Riley. We knew that. I, I didn't say it. I'm not trying to do this revisionist history. Be like, <laughs> I knew he wasn't going to make it to the bowl season. <laughs> I had nothing like that. But you know, the writing was on the wall, and and the way that that the the team performed, or perhaps underperformed, or you know, just it, it it wasn't looking good. So everything happened for a reason to get Nebraska to where it was now, and if. If you as a Husker fan are asked, would you suffer the three years of Mike Riley knowing what it would do to you as a fan to watch the game, to know, you know, that after that time Scott Frost is going to come in and, and you know, to uh, to piggyback on, on your prediction, Haas 2022 is going to happen. If you have to suffer through three years of Riley to get to Frost, would you do it again? Yeah, I would. Because, I mean, the the thing is, in 15, it was optimism. You know, new coach, Bo's gone. Um, competitive, even though we lost seven games, going six and seven. Palette cleanser six, from a from a personality aspect. Yes. And then 2016, you know, start 7-0. Sure, he finished 2-4, and four, but, you know, it was a step in the right direction. And then 17, it ha- you know, the downfall happened so fast. And you saw that, you know, the second Sean Eichhorst was fired, you're like, okay, well, Riley's Riley's done. That goose is cooked. So, you know, it was pretty fleeting, you know. We were put out of our misery pretty quick. And so, yeah, I'd, I'd do it again because, you know, it's just not the homer pick, you know, the homer in me. It's just also from just a pure football standpoint, we got one of the best coaches in America. And if we just, you know, be patient and let this thing build and grow organically. Uh, we're going to be in a good spot, you know, 2022, as I've been saying. I, I so, want, you know, yeah, I'd do it again. I want to ask you, and and again, I, I'm I'm perfectly happy. I'm not I'm not trying to you know 
you know, be a, look a gift horse in the mouse or anything like that. But if Scott Frost weren't leaving UCF, is there another coach out there that you would have liked to have had more than Scott Frost? I mean, I know you said it was the homer pick. Obviously, you know, uh, uh, he played here, he won here, and and he's had that coaching tree to you know to to sit and learn under. But is there any any coach? I mean, Gary it, Patterson from TCU. Okay. All right. Um, Urban Meyer. Uh, that, that, that'll chap some asses, I'm telling you. <laughs> and then the, here's one, you know, Jimbo Fisher. I I really like what Jimbo accomplished at Florida State. Um, last year was rough for them, obviously, and he left for A&M. But I really like the way Jimbo Fisher teams played when he was at Florida State and that, I mean, basically Gary Patterson, Urban Meyer, and Jimbo Fisher would have been three guys who I'd won at Nebraska. And here's one, too, that's pretty obscure, you know, dark horse pick, but Chris Kleeman from North Dakota State. And that was, uh, you know, look what he's done with, you know, the only thing, the only uh, feather in his cap is he gets to play in a dome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, uh, resources-wise, North Dakota's not, you know, known for – um, a whole heck of a lot, but uh, um, all right. So before we get out of here, we teased it at the top of the show. Our Husker talk is is technically done, but I've got to know, and I think our listeners deserve to know. You had a pretty wild and crazy Friday night after watching some uh, College World Series baseball. What the hell happened? Uh, well, you know, I went downtown. Last night, I did not watch any baseball, actually. Oh, see, um, I thought you did. Just just went downtown to partake in the festivities of the CWS and started out the Blatt Beer Garden, and um, beers were five bucks a piece there. That's unnecessarily uh, high-priced beer. And I didn't have any cash on me, and the beer gardens only took cash, but there's an ATM there, so there's a nice $5.50 service fee. At that ATM. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, you, how, all right, so I've got to ask the question. How much did you take out initially? 80. Okay. Carry on. Yep, so uh, so that transaction was 85.50, basically. And so we, uh, my friends and I had a few beers at that beer garden. Then we went across the street to uh, Good Night's Pizza right across from TD Ameritrade. And I saw that they had Shiner Bach and... Uh, so of course I'm like I'll have a shiner, and they did not. They had a reduced menu, so it's Coors Light and shots of Jameson, and uh, so both of the, not the same time. Both of those things sound unpleasant. Well, Jameson's good. Jameson's Light, a little to be debated. I, um, I've told you why I don't drink liquor, and that's not a story I can tell yeah. on on, uh, on the podcast. But you know why I don't drink liquor, and yes. that includes. Uh, as, I'm, as, I'm just now getting to the point where I'm like, I'll drink hard liquor, you know, again. Uh, I quit drinking hard liquor and pop about four or five years ago, and you know, I still don't drink pop, but I'll have, you know, I'll have a mix, you know, not a mixed drink, but I'll have you know, whiskey occasionally, for sure. And uh, yeah, so. That good, nice pizza, that was where, you know, got a nice buzz going. And I, uh, I'm i a very gregarious and charitable individual when, you know, I'm <laughs> feeling pretty good. So, uh, yeah, 
buying drinks for my friends and, you know, tipping uh, attractive waitresses, you know, a little bit more than uh, I normally would, you know, a few extra bucks here or there. Uh, so and then we went to this place down uh, like off 14th and Harney that was just, as the kids say, very bougie, as in bourgeois. They didn't serve a single domestic brew. Okay. Everything was craft. And beers were $7 there. I'm, I'm not paying $7 for beer. I did. <laughs> and uh, I had one there. And it was actually pretty good. <laughs> Do you, you remember like what it was? Peach, it was some peach-type beer. It was, it was actually pretty tasty. And so after that, went to DJ's dugout because we were all hungry. It's like midnight, only to find out that they quit serving food at 11. And so from there, you know, we stayed till one and then uh, caught a ride back out west to where my car was, my buddy's car was. And we ended up going to Village Inn and uh, walked out of Village Inn at about 3.30. Nothing like a nice chicken fried steak skillet and about three cups of coffee at three in the morning to, you know, really, uh, really does the soul some good. All right. So I, I did a little uh, searching on, on your peach beer. Uh, turns out it was a Seagram's Escapes Peach Fuzzy Naval Malt Liquor. And oh, you can, you can get them at, for three ninety nine for a six pack. I'm just no, I don't know. It probably wasn't it. Uh, that was a joke. Um, but by the time you were getting home and probably, I'll say falling asleep. I'll, I'll avoid the, the phrase passing out. I'll say falling asleep. By the time you got home and was falling asleep, I was getting up and ready, getting ready to go to work. I just want to throw that out there. Um, yeah, I fell asleep at about. Four oh five in the morning. That's when my and, alarm uh, was going off. Thanks for. Uh, and I I had been up since about five thirty the morning before because I had to work at seven on Friday. See, and, and uh, I only got to. Day. I only got. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not seeking sympathy from anybody, but I only got about four hours of sleep that night because uh, uh, I, I recorded my other podcast, Nerds United, also available on the Jitter Monkey Podcast Network. Um, and, and was doing all that post-production and everything else. So I didn't get a whole lot of sleep, and then I got up early and uh, went went to work. So I'm just... Hey, I, was, I was up by 9 a.m. still this morning because I cannot physically sleep in past 9 a.m. No matter how late I'm up, no matter how late I'm out, I am up by 9. Have you tried? I mean, was have, that? Have, you, have you tried just, you know, uh, staying in, in bed? Because... If, if I didn't have a two-year-old, I could sleep. I'm just saying. Second my eyes open, I'm up. That, that fuse is lit. I do not have that problem. Uh, I'm, I'm yeah, cursed I, in a different I, way. I'm also one of those people. I haven't taken a nap in like six years. I nap. I'm not a nap person. I napped this afternoon for about 45 minutes after I put my son down. Um, it, it was great. We uh, we cuddled. We not nah, I say cuddled. We snuggled. Is. Yeah, I'd be. A, I'd, I'd probably be more of a nap person if it didn't always screw with my ability to fall asleep at night. I've never had a problem sleeping. Period. Yeah, I, I, if I take a nap during the day, I am wired, you know, well into the night. So, I want to. I want to touch on one more nap thing. But overall, your your Friday night in Omaha was a was a success. A good time was had by all. Yeah, I. Uh, I looked at my wallet this morning and I had twenty six dollars out of that eighty left, and uh, so I was I spent spent a fair amount of money and I also paid a few tabs on a debit card, so that was even more. So um, 
yeah, I'm going to not go downtown for a while. I just remember seeing in the Slack room your your message that said, I spent way too much money last night. I'm like, oh, there's a story there. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I I was walking around downtown like I was Ric Flair, styling and profiling, man. Woo! Yeah, I had a dip in that would have made George Brett jealous, you know. I was, you know, talking to the uh, talking to the pretty ladies, just like uh, styling and profiling, like I was Ric Flair, and uh, so yeah, it's just uh, just a nice uh, nice night that reminded me of the fact that I am going to be twenty eight in a few months, and uh, and most of I the feel single like women are not. Next day after being up that late, <laughs> this is a, this is not an an indictment, but it is a curiosity. Uh, the the ladies out there are are, are they enamored with the with the dip or do they not prefer it i mean what's uh what's what's the 411 what's the iggy on uh, on uh usually it's a bit of repulsion bordering on toleration gotcha yeah uh we've all got our vices you know as, as winston churchill once said never trust somebody that doesn't have at least one redeemable vice okay i'm not familiar with that yeah. churchill one but uh um i i will uh i will acquiesce to your knowledge of uh of the great winston churchill and uh i will i, I was gonna pull something else out i got nothing um all right so i'm not even gonna worry about my nap story it's kind of s- silly now and uh makes me look foolish so we're just gonna move on hoss anything else to uh, discuss this week on the five heart podcast that's about it. Uh, just let the listeners know that the law firm of Haas and Hooch will be conducting cross-examinations again starting <laughs> next week. That's right. We, we tried to, uh, as I mentioned, I had reached out to Bill Conley and, and didn't hear anything back. And then we didn't, uh, uh, nobody from coordination was available or I'll say willing or able to, uh, uh, you know, spend a Saturday evening with us, which they're lost, really. We have a good time. Uh, so next week, uh, the, the law firm will be back. And we will be joined by uh, another coordination contributor, writer, author, whatever you want to call him. And uh, uh, we'll have more fun, more questions, more Husker memories coming up uh, next week right here on the Five Heart Podcast, coordination.com, jitterymonkey.com, Podbean, Stitcher, Google Play, Apple Podcasts. Uh, uh, check us out and rate and review. It's how other people see our shows and uh, engage. Join us uh, in the comment section. We probably won't respond because we're smarter than that, but you can comment, and uh, and that's a good time. Uh, that'll do it for this episode of the Five Heart Podcast. I'm Greg Mahochko, and uh, he is at Hoss Reuter. I'm at thehooch36, and we remind you this week and every week that Five Heart is all the heart you need. Go Big Red. Win the damn off season. And the best part is the off season is getting closer to being over. Yeah, we're we're getting through the long midnight of the fan soul. This is a production of the Jittery Monkey Podcast Network. For more jittery shenanigans, go to jitterymonkey.com. Hey.